Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's going on, automotive world? Welcome to another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping, and I'll be your host once again for today's episode. And of course, you're stuck with just me today. Uh, I've got a couple of case studies for you here that I've dealt with recently doing the mobile thing. I've got a 2017 Toyota Tacoma TRD. Uh, it's got uh, some stalling issues, a bunch of dash lights and network codes. And then I've also got a 2016 Ford Escape that is a crank no start. So uh, we'll cover both of those and we're going to start off with Toyota. So once again, 2017 Toyota Tacoma, TRD off-road edition, uh, 3.5 liter V6. So uh, the shop called me and said what happened or the customer tells the shop that they had to slam on their brakes recently. And this is what initiated the whole series of events or the issue with the vehicle is after they had a hard application of the brakes. So I'm going to keep that in mind that that was where everything started. Um, after that, a number of dash lights illuminated, um, some brake warnings, four-wheel drive warnings. Um, there was a number of lights on the dash. And they also experienced that the engine would stall out and at times not want to restart in the sense that it wouldn't crank um, after the stalling. Um, they got to the shop. Um, I'm actually not sure if it was towed in or not. I assume it probably was towed in. But once it got to the shop, the shop was able to duplicate these symptoms. Um, so I've been asking recently when shops call me on stuff, is this intermittent at all? Or is this a hard fault? Because I want to know up front before I even show up to the shop, what I'm going to be going after. And in a lot of cases, I just, I, I kind of talk my way out of doing intermittent problems, um, mainly for what I'm doing mobile, where I'm going shop to shop and I've got a schedule that I have to roughly keep. I, intermittents are such a, it's, it ends up being such a problem if you can't get it to act up um, because you can spend hours and hours on particular vehicles trying to get something to act up and you may not even do it in that time. <clears throat> you, you could spend a couple hours on a vehicle and you may not even get it to act up. You could test everything, everything tests great and you have nowhere no direction on it. You can't tell the shop, okay, replace this part. Uh, Cause you'd just be guessing if you did, maybe there's pattern failures and you could guess at one of those. Great. But I don't want to do that. And then it becomes difficult to charge for the time you spent for, for a number of reasons. Number one, I don't feel like I built any value into just telling them, well, I didn't get it acted up. I don't know. Um, that's, that's a problem. For me personally, I don't like doing that, 
But here's the other thing. Maybe you take the approach of, hey, I spent the time on it. I'm going to get paid. And I would agree with that, although I struggle with that. Here's the other downside to charging for an intermittent scenario where you are just charging for diagnostics and you don't have an answer. Well, now you're married to that thing. And I've been in that situation too, where I've had to charge for my time that I spent. Well, now this intermittent vehicle, anytime it acts up in the future, guess who's getting a call and they want you back there because they already paid you for what you've done. Now, I, I realize that, yes, we should get paid for our time. We should get paid for our testing. I 100% agree that, but I also know the mindset of most shops and or customers in general is that if they've paid for a service, they're going to have you on the phone. They want you back there um, to try to figure out this random intermittent problem. So all that being said, I try to avoid intermittent problems as much as possible because I don't even want to be in that scenario. I tell shops if it's intermittent, get it to act up more. And then I'll come take a look at it. And it uh, seems to be working pretty well for me. So back to our Toyota. I ask the shop, is this intermittent? They say, no, it's a hard fault happening right now. We've got it to stall several times. These codes are in there. Okay, great. Uh, I'll come check it out. So I show up and uh, first thing I do is scan the vehicle. I want to see what's going on with the codes that they're referring to as far as network codes, see what all the dash lights are about. And I did verify that almost all of the modules had U codes or network codes. Most of them pertained to the engine control module. Now, not all of them. There were several U codes that um, had other messages. I think a couple of them were for ABS. A couple of them were for TCM, but the TCM is part of it's a powertrain control module that does engine and transmission. So same module. And there was a couple other random codes, but lots of U codes and lots of modules. And the majority of them pertain to loss of communication with the engine control module. Okay. So I'll keep that in mind. Now, one thing I did note is that all of these codes uh, are marked as history uh, within these modules, meaning that in Toyota's scan tool, code language. If it says history, it's not current right now. It's not a hard fault happening right this moment. If it says current, okay, that is current. That's right now. I can't talk to that module right now. If it's history, well, that happened before. Okay. So I document all my codes and I actually clear them all out. Um, I cleared out all the codes on there and none of them came back. Okay. So, um, I talked to the shop and I was asking them, you know, what, what was going on? And you guys said, you know, this is a hard fault this is happening right now. And I had a little bit of time into it at this point, maybe 20 minutes or so. And I don't see anything happening. I, I documented all the codes that I had in there, but I didn't have any symptoms and they did, you know, tell me about how it happened while the customer's driving it. And they actually did take it for one test drive, but they were having trouble making it even around the block. And I decided, okay, well, I'll go, I'll go test drive this thing and maybe we'll get it to act up. I'm not going to go too far from the shop, but I'll go drive it and see, okay, can we get this thing to act up? I'll have my scan tool connected. We'll watch and see. Well, I go out and drive it around and nothing happens. Uh, don't get the the vehicle to act up in any way. No communication codes are set. No lights turn on the dash. Um, I tried manipulating the four wheel drive. It's been snowing a lot around here lately in Minnesota. And so 
I figured four wheel drive was probably being used at some point or another. Maybe that had something to do with it. Um, I also slam on the brakes um, pretty aggressively to simulate what the customer experienced as far as getting this to happen. And I also made sure the ABS activated because one of the thoughts I was having was, well, maybe the ABS module is taking down the network, but maybe only when it's activating the pump or the motor, right? Um, I don't know if everyone's heard of this, but there, I know somebody was telling, telling me about this recently where a module can kind of overcurrent itself, drawing too much current to do whatever it's meant to do, like run an ABS motor. And that alone causes it to pollute the network and disrupt the CAN bus. Um, so I was thinking, well, let's get this ABS active and see if we can get this fault to occur. Well, I didn't have any luck. Could not get this thing to do it. So I get back to the shop and I wanted to check out, see if there's any service bulletins for anything like this. Uh, you know, check the usual sites, go through Identifix and check out like Facebook, ITN, see, okay, is there anything else, you know, that I should be looking for that would point me in the correct direction? And I didn't find anything useful. Of course, I've got the vehicle there running with my scan tool connected the whole time. Um, I decided to scope the network just to see what it looked like. Um, and I even did this while activating the ABS. Um, network looked great as far as the CAN bus voltages go. I didn't see any issues there. Um, I was just tied into the network uh, with my U-scope while I was driving and didn't see anything that looked you know, out of the ordinary as far as the voltages go. Uh, the other thing that I did was I checked out the battery and the charging system. Now, the battery load tested okay. Um, I didn't uh, find any issues with that. And the charging system seemed to be uh, working the way it was supposed to as far as vol system voltage. Because um, I do know that, you know, again, it's really cold around here this time of year. And it's possible that a, you know, low battery, maybe cause some of these network codes. Uh, one of the reasons I was thinking about this is I had a couple um, stop-start vehicles recently where the smaller auxiliary battery had basically just failed. It was completely discharged, wasn't able to hold a charge. And uh, these vehicles, they're actually both Chrysler vehicles, they'd experience uh, all kinds of electrical module related issues, lights on the dash, tons of network codes, but only during a stop start event, meaning that the vehicle's already been started normally. You went out and drove it and now it's doing a stop start, which in that case, it's separating the main battery, the big battery that powers the starter from the auxiliary battery, which powers up the interior components on the vehicle during a stop start to basically make it seamless to the driver. So there's no voltage pulses or lights flashing or change in blower speed to the interior of the vehicle when you're doing a stop start or an auto start, I guess you should, could say. And when it goes to do this, that auxiliary battery has no juice. It has nothing. And so everything connected to it, usually in the interior of the vehicle, now all goes dead. And we set a bunch of comm codes. Okay. Uh, this was just top of mind because I've dealt with it a couple of times recently. And so I'm thinking, okay, let's make sure that the battery is all good. It did test out a load tested. Okay. Here. So, and it, I noticed that it was like a brand new battery too. 
just recently been replaced. Okay, cool. So um, after a little bit more messing around and not getting anywhere, I'm approximately an hour into this. And that's where I kind of hit the brakes and say, okay, I got to, you know, uh, decide a better direction or move on here because uh, of all the reasons I listed earlier with the whole intermittent thing. Plus, I got a busy schedule ahead of me. I can't spend all day trying to get this truck to act up. So I go to the service writer and I tell him, hey, there is no issues. Um, I can't find anything. I've been messing with it an hour. Here's the codes that were there. I know these were present, but these are a lot of com codes and I can't duplicate it. So I can't really give you a good answer. So you guys mess around with it. Call me when you know you have uh, you have this thing acting up, and then we can you know take it from there. We can go further. And he's pretty adamant because he was actually working with the technician on this uh, Toyota before they called me. And he's like, "No, I know this thing's doing it. Like we, we experienced it so many times." And he wants to go on a quick drive with me because he's very confident that he can get this thing to act up. And I was like, okay, we'll, we'll give it one more shot before I leave and see what happens. So we hop in the vehicle, he's driving, I hop in the passenger seat and we don't even make it out of the parking lot. And this thing stalls, all the lights come on the dash, the four wheel drive, the brake lights, engine stalls. He's like, oh, see, see, I told you, I was like, oh, okay, well, cool. That's awesome. You got it to do it. And it, I was watching him drive and I was like, I didn't really do anything out of the ordinary, um, He's a little bit of a bigger guy. So I was like, well, maybe there's, maybe there's something with uh, some calm lines under the driver's seat or something, something like that. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not the biggest guy around. So maybe there's a weight difference between the two of us. That's, that's the only thing I was thinking. I was like, how did he get this thing to do it? We didn't do anything special. We didn't slam on the brakes. We didn't, you know, ABS activation, none of that. And he got it to happen, but either way. Okay, cool. Let's readdress this. So I connect my scan tool back to the vehicle and I just want to see, do we have the same codes as before? And we do, we have all the U codes that I had before and all the other modules um, saying that most of them saying they couldn't talk to the ECM. Now I can talk to the ECM here and I go through those codes and they're all history again. And uh, it, it's basically the exact same scenario I was just in, you know, a few minutes prior where all the problems that were just there a second ago, well, now they're they're not there. I have the communication codes. I witnessed it myself, but it's it's not happening when I'm trying to scan it with my scan tool. My like, God, oh, this is this is frustrating, right? Like I I don't know what he did to get it to act up. So I'm sitting there thinking about it, like well, what was different here? And the only thing I could think of. And some of you may be ahead of me on this if you've dealt with this issue before. Was that the entire time I was looking at it, the whole hour that I had into it originally, I had my scan tool plugged in to the OBD2 port. And I was using my Top Don on this one, uh, the Top Don Phoenix, a great tool for the price. I, I snagged it with a lifetime updates, which is pretty cool. Um, but it's based off a of launch software and, uh, it's, it's a pretty decent tool, nice and easy, and it gives you a topology map uh, for the networks. I'm, I, I don't sell these tools. I'm just telling you. <laughs> I like using the top down. It's, it's just a quick and easy tool. Anyways, um, it has a Bluetooth VCI that you plug into the OBD2 port, which I now use a cable extender so I don't forget these things in vehicles because I'm so terrible at doing that. <laughs> Anyways, so I'm going off track here. I 
had the scan tool plugged in the entire time I was looking at it and I could not get it to act up. When I drove this, well, I didn't drive it. When I went for a drive with the service writer, for, when we got it to act up, I had my scan tool in my hand. I did not have it plugged in at this point. I had already unplugged everything and was about ready to call it. And that was the difference. And now I plug the scan tool back in and of course the stuff is gone. Okay, well, let's prove this theory and see what happens. I disconnect my scan tool from the OBD2 port and it almost immediately stalls out. Um, it, didn't, it didn't take any time at all. The lights come on the dash and you know, I didn't have my scan tool connected, but I'm sure all the codes were back. And this time it actually didn't crank either. It just, the starter clicked, uh, which um, wasn't the case the first time it stalled, but this time it was, it wouldn't even crank. And so I was like, huh, that's interesting. And I, I have a pretty good feeling. I know where we're headed at this point. I'm pretty sure I know what's going on, but um, the no crank thing is odd. I'm still, again, questioning system voltage. That That is one thing I'll say about the top down that they could make better is give me a voltage PID on the scan tool like the Autels have uh, for system voltage. That does not have that. So I was just, again, I was wondering, I was like, well, maybe there's a charging system issue and I've been missing this. Um, again, I have something else in my mind, but I take the jump pack that I have in the back of my van because this thing just clicks. Kind of like the battery's dead, but not exactly. And I put the jump pack on the battery. And I just want to see if I can crank this thing so I can get it back into the shop because it's cold outside. <laughs> and, uh, you know, black clamp for the jump pack connected to the negative terminal on the battery, red to the positive. Okay. I'm sure everyone knows how to hook up a jump pack. I'm not <laughs> trying to insult anyone's intelligence. I just want you to know exactly where I had it hooked up. I go, same thing. Starter clicks won't crank. Lights on the dash seem pretty good, but this thing won't crank over. What the heck? Okay. So I take the black clamp from the jump pack. I leave the red one where it's at on the positive post. I take the black clamp from my jump pack and I put it down onto the engine block. So I just find a nice piece of metal on the engine block. I go back inside the vehicle. I hit the button. This thing cranks over and starts just fine, perfectly. So at this point, between the two things that I've discovered, I know what's wrong with this vehicle. I just have to find the exact spot where there's an issue. Um, let me walk you through this. And I've, I've experienced this before and I kind of felt dumb, sort of, <laughs> once I came to this realization. Uh, but it's just a good thing for me to remember. And the reason I want to go through it on the podcast is the whole time I was driving this thing around and trying to get it to act up. I had my scan tool plugged in. What, what does that mean? What's happening there? And many of you have probably seen this before because this is nothing new. The pins at the OBD2 connector, there's 16 of them. Pins four and five are ground, right? And that's always the case on every OBD2 connector from 96 to 2022. Pins four and five are ground. Now, uh, depending on the vehicle, and a lot of vehicles are set up this way, in particular, this Toyota, pin four is going to be a body ground. If you, if you look at the diagram and you follow the wire from pin four, it goes to the right kick panel. It's grounded on the body of the vehicle. Now, pin five, however, is grounded on 
the back of the left cylinder bank. Okay, so on the engine, right? So you have pin five going to the engine, pin four going to the body. What? Why does that matter? Well, normally with the OBD2 just hanging out there under the dash, those two are not connected. Uh, now, through the vehicle grounding system, they should be, right? If you imagine a battery, right, in a negative post, you have a big cable going to the block that connects to the negative post. And you also have a smaller cable that goes to the body connected to the negative post. So they're connected in a way, but under the dash there, they're not. Well, when I plug in my scan tool, most VCIs or most scan tools are going to have pins four and five shorted together internally, meaning that when I plug my scan tool in, I'm connecting four and five, meaning that when I connect four and five, I'm connecting the body ground to the engine block ground. Okay. And this is what I was suspecting when I realized that this happened as soon as I unplugged my scan tool, that there is an issue with either the engine or the body ground. I don't know exactly which one until I didn't, I wasn't able to jumpstart it from the battery. Meaning that when I put my jump pack on the battery, which actually wasn't discharged, but when I put my jump pack on that battery, the, the black connection from the jump pack onto the negative post of the battery, it was still not cranking. But then when I moved it over to the block, I was able to get it started, right? So I'm bypassing the negative cable in that case. And that's where, that's where my issue is, is the cable that goes from the negative battery terminal to the engine block. So I just have to figure out exactly where. Is it the cable or is it a connection at one end or another? Could be up at the terminal, could be at the block, could be within the cable. I've just got to do some voltage drop measurements to figure this out. So um, that's what I do is some voltage drop measurements. And what I ended up finding was that the bolt, where that big negative cable actually threads into the side of the block, it was just loose. I could grab that cable and move it with my hands. I'll put a video up on the Facebook group. And it was like 10 volt drop between the battery and the engine block. That was preventing, you know, the, the engine block from grounding basically. But when I had my VCI plugged in, even though it's a very, we're talking, you know, pretty small um, cables here, it was enough to make that connection. Now, I asked myself this, and you might be asking this too. Well, was the starter amperage going through the VCI, the scan tool, in order to get this thing to crank? And that's a tough one to answer. I didn't really experiment with it. My guess would be probably not all of it. Um, I think there was still some connection on that cable um, at the block, although there was some voltage drop. Um, and the connection at the OBD2 port may have just been assisting, but another path for current. Uh, it would have been interesting to see cranking that thing over with my scan tool, how much current was actually flowing through that ground path. Um, but I didn't do that. Um, I also think with the way the cable was, it, it was slightly intermittent on how much connection it was making. Right. And I, I think that's what initiated this in the first place was that the, um, the, hitting the brakes was enough to jar this thing into the wrong position and create that voltage drop. But all it was, was tightening up the, uh, the bolt for the engine block ground. 
Um, the last thing was, why do we have communication codes with the ECM? Well, I did look into that and the ECM actually grounds on the engine as well. So it would make sense that that specific module would also go out if the engine block were to lose a ground, which it did because we're disconnecting it from the battery. So um, that one was fixed with tightening up a ground bolt. So anyways, um, what I'm going to remember from that one is that if I'm dealing with an intermittent problem, I'm at least going to unplug my scan tool to see if I can get it to act up because I might be connecting a body and an engine ground together through the scan tool, which, uh, like I said, some people have probably experienced that before, but, uh, and I, I have as well. So that's why I kind of felt you know, I felt like I wasted a little bit of time on that one, not even thinking that that was a possibility, but, uh, Hey, that's, uh, that's the way you learn. That's the way you burn it into your memory for the next time. So the next one is a 2016 Ford escape. Uh, this has a 2.5 liter. Uh, so this is not the turbo motor and this is not the GDI motor. It's just regular port injection. So keep that in mind as we get into it. Um, the shop called me because this was a crank, no start. And I don't know how far they dug into it. This shop usually calls me for most of their diagnosis, uh, work. They do a lot of, uh, you know, heavy line work, but they don't get too far into the computers and electrical drivability. So I, I don't know that they really did much of any testing besides maybe checking for spark. Anyways, um, I walk in and one thing I did note about this vehicle right away is that this thing looked beat up. It either been in some sort of accident or had been in a ditch. And again, it's been snowy around here, so I didn't think too much of it. But I just did note that when I first looked at the vehicle, like the front bumper was all messed up. Uh, the spare tire was on it. Uh, there were some scrapes along the bottom of the driver's door. Uh, it actually looked to be sitting a little funny too. Like maybe the suspension was messed up or something. But anyways, uh, I do confirm this is a crank no start. Um, I checked the, I checked the vehicle for codes. I did an all system DTC scan. And I will say that I did overlook a code when I did this, I, I kind of glanced through them and I, I missed one, but we'll come back to that. Uh, there were no codes in the ECM though. And that was what I was kind of focused on. Cause I just want to see you know, why, why doesn't this thing start? And there's no codes in the ECM. Uh, there's no theft light on the dash. Uh, so I'm not concerned about anti-theft at this point. Um, but we're not starting. So, um, a no code, uh, crank, no start. Where do you go with this? I'm going to, or I should say, I always tackle it this way is air fuel spark. Uh, you know, where, where do I want to start? Uh, what's the easiest thing to do now, because this is not a GDI vehicle, it's just the port injection. They don't have a fuel pressure sensor. Um, I'm getting uh, spoiled with newer vehicles now that all have fuel pressure sensors and you could just check the fuel pressure from the scan tool sitting in the driver's seat. Now I actually have to get up off my butt and do some sort of test <laughs> to check for fuel pressure, but that is the first one that I decided to do. And he here's why I decided to do it. Um, one of the things I'll do in a situation like this is I just want to hear the fuel pump to see if it's running. So I'll do some key cycles and I can watch a data PID just to verify that the ECM says it's turning the fuel pump on. And it was, it was attempting, it said the command was fuel pump on. And uh, it actually said there, there was a data PID in here as well that said uh, cranking fuel disabled. And it said, no. 
um, basically saying that the computer wasn't trying to withhold fuel from this engine. Okay. And that, that's good to know. But again, I just want to see, does, do I hear the pump run? Now that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean that there's adequate pressure. I, I just, again, simple, simple check that I'm doing from the driver's seat. Cause I can have the door open. I can cycle the key. As long as the shop's relatively quiet, which it was at this case, I could just listen and see, do I hear the burn of a fuel pump? And I didn't. Okay. Now, Keep in mind, some pumps are pretty quiet, but I feel like on this little Ford Escape that I should hear something and I don't. So I decide fuel is the way that I'm going before I go after compression or spark. Oh, I should say the compression sounded pretty good cranking on this thing. Pretty even. I didn't notice any dead holes. Sounded like the starter was pushing on something. So I wasn't thinking timing or anything like that, but I don't hear a fuel pump. So let's go for fuel. I go to the... um Fuel rail, there's no Schrader valve, of course, so I can't put a gauge on it. You don't see too much stuff with Schrader valves anymore. I think that's kind of going away again for stuff that has pressure sensors. This doesn't have that either. So, okay, whatever. We'll pop a line off. So pop the fuel line off. There is some fuel in there, but there was no pressure. I cycle the key a few more times. Again, don't hear the pump. There's no fuel coming out of there. Okay, so I know where I'm headed with this thing. I don't have fuel pressure. All right, so pretty easy. Um Let's take a look at a diagram and uh, see how this is operated. Um, the fuel pump, actually, it has a fuel pump driver module, um, which is located under the right rear seat. And of course, the fuel pump is in the tank. There's an access panel under the seat there for the wiring. Uh, but there's a fuel pump driver module, which receives commands from the ECM or the PCM in this case. And then it will pulse with modulate power and ground uh, to the pump to operate it. Okay. So the fuel pump driver runs this pump. It receives a command from the ECM in order to do that. Although, although there is some default modes on a lot of these uh, fuel pump control modules as well, even if they don't see an ECM command, uh, it's possible for them to run the pump, but either way, that's the setup. And it's not the easiest thing to access. You can actually get it by uh, pulling the carpet up a little bit, but if you really want access to it, you got to remove the rear seat. I wasn't going to do that just yet, um, but I decided, okay, I want to do this a, a little bit easier. Let's do some basic easy checks before we start tearing stuff apart. And so I'm also looking at the diagram. That's how I identified how the pump is run. But I wanted to see how does this fuel pump control module get power and ground for itself, right? Because in order to pulse with modulate power and ground to the fuel pump, it needs power and ground to do so. Okay, so on the ground, okay, I'm still going to have to go back to the module to test for ground, but it also gets power. And it gets power from a fuse located in the BCM. Now, the BCM is under the right kick panel. And it is also a fuse panel, right? So there's fuses you can pop in and out. And then there's a bunch of connectors um, that go into it. And it's the body control module, but it has a fuse. And this fuse is a 20 amp fuse. I go underneath and I actually have my uh, top down scan tool in this one too. Again, I'm not trying to advertise for top down, it's just an easy grab. <laughs> um, and uh, I went in and I actually went into the ECM on this one. This is where the function is to toggle the fuel pump on and off is there's an actuation test within the engine control module. You just go fuel pump on and I look at 
the um, the test light that's connected to the fuse, 20 amp fuse, and there's no power on it. And I tried cycling the key. I tried cranking. I didn't have power on this 20 amp fuse. Okay. So this is in the BCM. I don't have power here. So now I don't need to bother going back to the fuel pump module because I don't have power at the fuse. No point in going any further. Where's this fuse get power? And if you look at the diagram, there is a fuel pump relay that is located within its internal to this BCM. Now, if I do some toggling here, I can't hear a click of a relay. That's not a hundred percent good test, but my guess is this relay is not turning on and off, or I should say it's not turning on. <laughs> it is off. Um, and I'm not getting power to the fuse, not getting power to the module. So it's not powering up the fuel pump. Okay. So why is that? And this is when I actually need to go uh, back and look a little bit closer at what codes are present in the BCM. And I missed this one. I glanced right over it, not thinking about it. I was so focused on the ECM that I did not see this code. Well, it was in the body control module. It is a B1492. So B1492 on this Ford Escape says fuel cutoff event, no subtype information, but fuel cutoff event. Okay. Well, I don't have fuel pressure. I have a code that says fuel cutoff event. Uh, this is probably uh, getting me to where I need to go, especially because that code is in the BCM who is in charge of running the fuel pump relay uh, with, of course, with an instruction from other modules, but He's the guy that's turning that fuel pump relay on and off to send power to the fuel pump control module. He's not doing it. So let's address this code. Let's read up on this code and figure this out. So if you go to the information on this code, um, it says using a diagnostic scan tool, perform the RCM self-test. What's the RCM? It is a restraint control module. So that's our airbag control module or SRS module. Ford calls it an RCM. And it says, refer to airbag supplemental restraint system in order to do this. And basically, you're supposed to check for codes, okay? And if there's codes here, address those and then come back to this 1492. Okay. So what I did exactly that, I went to the RCM, I went to the restraint control module, my scan tool. I feel like I'm kind of onto something here. And there were some codes in there. There was actually a code that pertained to a rollover sensor. And again, I was looking at the vehicle. I'm like, I wonder if this thing went into the ditch, uh, you know, at a steep angle or had a significant, um, you know, jarring of the vehicle in some way, if it was in an accident, set these codes as possible. I was like, well, let's, let's just clear these airbag codes out. And keep in mind, I, um, I do a screenshot of every code that I'm going to clear out of a vehicle, but I just want to see do these things come back right away. Is this a hard fault? Do I need to address some airbag stuff before I proceed further. Well, I clear it out and nothing comes back. There's uh, those airbag codes are gone. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, let's go back to the BCM. I go back to the BCM. The B1492 is still there, even though I have no RCM codes. I try clearing that code out of the BCM. It will not clear. It comes back immediately, stays in a fuel cutoff mode. Okay. Interesting. So I wonder why this is. Well, I need to do a little bit more reading before I just jump into stuff here. Um, it says, it, it, going back to B1492 in the information, I just had to click one more link here. It says, if no RCM diagnostic trouble codes were retrieved, refer to inspection repair after a supplement, uh, 
supplemental restraint system deployment, and it has a link for you to click. Okay, so I clear I click this link in service info, and it brings me to a page, and this page basically outlines what you need to replace on a vehicle after airbag deployment. And I look around under at the vehicle, I'm like, I don't see any airbags deployed unless they repaired some stuff. But again, I, was like, I don't see anything that looks that way. So I thought that was interesting. They're bringing me here, acting like it had some sort of airbag deployment. Okay. And I, at this point, I was going to get up and ask the shop pretty shortly, but I, I kept reading through this. And at the very bottom, the number 12, the last thing on this list, after you've repaired everything in an airbag system on this 16 escape, it says to connect the diagnostic scan tool and view the BCM crash pit. Okay. If the BCM crash pit is present and reads yes, use the diagnostic scan tool to carry out the BCM crash status reset under service functions. Okay. So I went into the data PIDs for the BCM. It did say yes for crash bid. Okay, so that means the BCM interpreted that there was a crash event for this vehicle, probably based off of the codes that we saw in the RCM. So I go into the special functions of the BCM, I hit reset, go to the data PIDs, that PID changes to no, and I hear the fuel pump run. It goes, I'm like, oh, sweet, we got this thing. Um, and uh, no codes are setting in either the BCM or the RCM at this point. All right, cool. Let's try to start this thing and see where we're at. So crank this thing over. Again, here are the fuel pump running, um, primes the system up. And I hear the engine actually fire up now and it kind of chugs and stumbles and stalls. I'm like, oh, okay, interesting. <laughs> um, and I run into this a lot with mobile where I'll solve one problem and then all of a sudden I'm thrown right into another one. And I tried starting it a few times and I, it, it wasn't running very well, not sending any immediate codes in the ECM for this. And so I stopped at this point and I talked to the shop. I was like, Hey, this thing, I, I, I've resolved one problem. Do you want me to continue? Because there's definitely another problem here as well. I don't know what it is yet, but do you want me to continue? And they're like, yeah, just, just figure this thing out. Um, we don't have a whole lot of information on it, but you know, unless you want us to call a customer, I'm like, well, let me just let me just see where we're at here. Let me do some checks. I'll get paid for my secondary diagnosis and we'll, we'll go from there. Um, so hop back into it. And this didn't take too long. When I tried starting this thing, I, I gave it some gas. It was my next thing. I just want to see, can I get this thing running? If I really lean into it and, and give it some gas and see what happens. And I found as long as I had the accelerator um, you know, half pedal or more this thing actually ran pretty well. It, it was racing pretty good. You could hear the engine uh, roaring. And then as soon as you let the pedal off, it just sort of stumbled and chugged and then eventually stalled. Okay. So I, I have a pretty good idea uh, being as this is a mass airflow sensor vehicle, I got a big vacuum leak. And there was another key here too. I heard a large under the hood when I was running this thing too. So I was like, I bet you there's a big vacuum leak. So I had the tech that was there keep the engine running for me because I couldn't keep it running at an idle to go under the hood. I had him just you know keep it running by working the throttle. And I was just feeling around underneath to see, okay, is there any big hoses disconnected from this intake? And I didn't, I didn't see anything. There was nothing visible, you know, and there's not a whole lot on modern vehicles for big hoses. You got your purge valve, you got your brake booster, 
And then you got your PCV and I couldn't see the PCV on this one. So I was like, huh. Um, I did, however, notice that it's funny when you do this long enough, you can just kind of connect the dots and you're like, okay, I know what happened. I did notice that there was a brand new starter motor in this thing. Okay. Like brand new, right from O'Reilly's in this thing. And I noticed that someone had been around the intake. You could just tell things have been moved. There was a bolt missing from one spot. I'm like, okay, somebody's been in here before. And I could feel underneath between the intake manifold. If you imagine the intake manifold comes out of the front of the engine, it has a big part of the plenum that dips down in front of the block. It goes down and there's a little bit of space between the intake and the block. Well, in that space in between, there's a hose for the PCV and I can't see it. I can barely feel it, but that hose is disconnected and I wasn't able to get my hand in there to reconnect it. I told the shop, okay, they, they must've had this off because the shop said they didn't do the starter. I was like, they must've had this off. I don't know, maybe in attempts to fix what's wrong with it. I don't know, but they left a PCV hose off. So you got to reconnect that. You know, if you got to pull a manifold, pull a manifold, but you got to reconnect it. And then this thing should fire up and <laughs> run just fine. Uh, you just got a massive vacuum leak right now. Okay. So uh, they did that and they didn't have any more issues with it. So anyways, that was just a little extra at the end there. It's not that vacuum leaks are that interesting, but I thought the crash pit thing was pretty interesting. Uh, so again, uh, I never did find out if this thing went into a ditch or if it was in an accident, but something must have triggered a crash event, even though the airbags weren't deployed. And I know the airbags weren't deployed unless there was a lot of other repair on this thing I wasn't aware of because the module will not allow you to clear codes if a deployment has happened, right? It's a one-time deal when you set off airbags. And unless you have specialty equipment to wipe the memory of the modules, or you replace the module with a new one, you're not getting those codes to clear. And I was able to just clear the codes out of there um, and they didn't come back. And so again, I documented which ones they were, but it was a... uh, the the notable one was uh, something to do with the rollover sensor. So again, maybe there was enough of a motion that that module detected that and set a crash event, um, not, but didn't actually deploy the airbags. So interesting how that worked out. You know, a lot of that stuff with airbags, you don't have all the details on how it works in a crash event and you know when it doesn't or doesn't set off the airbags. But in this case, it didn't. Um, cleared that out. But even after you do that, you got to go into the BCM and do this crash uh, data reset within the body control module in order for it to turn the fuel pump back on. Um, and if that's set, it won't set any codes in the ECM. The ECM's basically like, yep, everything's good. I'm trying to do the fuel pump, but nothing's happening. So anyways, uh, that's going to do it for today's episode. Hopefully you found those two case studies interesting. I uh, want to thank everybody for listening to the show, all the great feedback that I've been getting, and uh, more and more people are reaching out to be on the show. So we'll continue with that as well. Other than that, let's all get out there, start fixing the world one car at a time. <laughs>